Amen and amen. Like I said, we are coming to the death of John the Baptist because every good man, every great man, every poor man, every individual will come to an end. John's birth was miraculous. You remember his parents, Zacharias and Elizabeth, had long desired a child, but Elizabeth's womb was barren. And then an angel came and spoke to him as he was going through his priestly uh, labors. And the angel said to him, listen, you will have a son. Zacharias was stunned by that, stunned, and became speechless as a result of that. He could hardly believe. And that man didn't speak until the day they were naming their son. And he uh, said, give me a writing tablet. He wrote down the name of his son. Everyone was astounded because there was no one in their family called John. But the angel had told him, you call your son John. And at that moment, his tongue was loosed. And the people were amazed. And they said of this uh, little baby boy, what manner of man will this be? What manner of man will he be? He became a great man, a godly man, a good man, a remarkable man. But a man whose life was brief. His birth was miraculous. Not only his birth, but even prior to his birth. Where we read he was sanctified in the womb. He was saved in his mother's womb. Now, we don't want to get sidetracked here. But understand the significance of that when we think about salvation. He did not do any work. Nothing to contribute to his salvation. He had not taken communion. He did not become a church member. He was not baptized. He wasn't going door to door evangelizing. He wasn't even born. Yet we're told that in the womb he was sanctified. He was saved and he rejoiced. He jumped for joy when he heard the voice of the Savior's mother. Mary was carrying Christ in her womb. And when he heard the voice of Mary, the babe leaked within Elizabeth's womb for joy. There was a little babe in the womb, saved by the grace of God. And it emphasizes salvation is of the Lord. You could go to the opposite end of the spectrum. And consider the man who was the thief on the cross, who had committed great crimes, great iniquities, and yet the Lord saved him too. Now, he couldn't do any good works. He wasn't baptized, wasn't taking communion, wasn't in church membership, wasn't an evangelist. He was on the cross, about to go in. He was in the process of bleeding and dying, and he got saved. Salvation. Is of the Lord. Now, John's salvation was miraculous, as every salvation is. John's birth was miraculous. Even his ministry was miraculous. Because the Lord told John to go and baptize. This is a new thing. This is a New Testament thing. And so John went baptized in the baptism of repentance. And you remember what we said there. He commenced it. Christ continued it. Because in the later verse, although he was called John the Baptist, we read in the word of God that Christ baptized more than John. So Christ continued what John commenced. And then the disciples were commanded to go into all the world's and baptize the people. That was for the New Testament church. Then 
we read that John was in a good view of the work of God. He said, I must decrease, but he must increase. John, you see, understood something fundamental, men and women. John understood that although he was the one who would be the forerunner of Christ, that was a very important role. And although the people of that day, they asked John, are you the Christ? John said, I'm I'm decreasing and he must increase. And what that meant was this. John understood that he was not the main character in the drama of redemption. As Christ is praying, as God is ordaining and playing out the great drama of redemption, John was not the central character. He was an accompanying character. Christ was the one who would increase. Christ is the main character. Then, of course, we saw, surprisingly, like I said to you that week, I'd never noticed it before, but John was taken into prison, but while he was in prison, he was despairing. He was discouraged. Although he had done great things, obviously in his heart, he, had, he was just despairing. To the degree that he sent, and you'll be aware of this, he sent the disciples, his disciples, to go and ask Christ, are you the Messiah or are we waiting for someone else? He was cast down. We all feel like that at times. We all struggle with fears and doubts. Is this right? What I have given my life to, is it of God? Have I deceived myself? Even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, at times doubted. And of course you will observe, remember that we observed, that while John was doubting, Christ was boasting in John and said there's none like John. Just remember that. Now, come back to John this morning. And sadly, and you know what I mean by sadly. For John, it was, you know, he's going to be absent from his body, but he was going to be in glory. For him, it was tremendous. But from our perspective, as we read and view on, as we observe someone's death, we can't help but feel sad. And so sadly this morning, we come to John's death. And what a death it was. John paid the ultimate price for truth. He was a preacher of truth and paid the great price for truth. John died aged, we can guess, around 31 years of age. John the Baptist was not an old man. Indeed, his his ministry was, was fresh and new. He died aged 31, thereabouts. And we read of that in our portion uh, this morning. Look with me there at Mark 6 and the verse 16. But when Herod heard thereof, that's of the fame of Christ, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. It's intriguing here. Herod was the man who took John's life. But, but look what he says. He is convinced that this Jesus of Nazareth, whom he has now heard about, is John risen from the dead. And that's intriguing, you know. Because Herod wasn't ignorant to the truth by any means. But those who hear the truth and who reject the truth are the first in line. 
to believe some full notion. And he's the first one lining up to say, this is John the Baptist risen from the dead. What a fool. But you'll find that those who reject truth are the first in line to believe silly notions. Well, like I said here, firstly, John was a preacher of truth. I want you to see also that he was imprisoned for truth. And thirdly, that he died for truth. But first this morning, he was a preacher of truth. You see, John had an audience with Herod. We read of that here uh, in verse 18. Look at verse 18 with me. Now think about this. This is King Herod. This is one of the most authoritative men in that region in John's day. And John has an opportunity to speak to him. Now John could have. He could have kept his head down. He could have decided, right, I'll just say nothing here. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll just get through with this. We'll go through all the pleasantries, all the niceties, and get out and continue my ministry of baptism. But that would have been wrong. Because in the providence of God, he was placed in a position that no other man was going to have. A position, an opportunity that no one else would have. And John wasn't going to miss it, even at the expense of losing his life and his ministry. So, here he is before Herod. What an opportunity. And in verse 18, here's what we read. And John, for John had said unto Herod, it is a lovely day, you're a great king, and you've got a beautiful wife. He didn't say that. He said in verse 18, unto Herod, Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. So we're not not told exactly why he had this audience with Herod, but he did. He did. And he did not spare truth. He told Herod only the truth. He did it honestly. He stood before Herod honestly, speaking what was true. He didn't do it abruptly. He didn't do it rudely. He didn't do it in an insulting manner. He just set the truth out there. So I did. That's the way to handle this. Just present the truth. You'll note here in verse 20 what's said about Herod concerning Everything he'd heard about John. It appears from verse 20 that John had a regular audience with Herod. Maybe not regularly, but quite often. Verse 20. What, what a privilege here. We are, we are studying the man who had an audience with John regularly. An audience with Herod regularly. For Herod feared John. And that intrigued me. Herod is a rascal. He'd respect for nobody. But he feared John. Why did he fear John? We'll read the rest of the verse. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy. He feared John because John was just and John was holy. Those are the very things that Herod was not. And here you have a very bad, wicked man. He had respect 
for people who were very, very good. Herod knew in his own heart how wicked and vile he was. He really was a rascal of the highest order. 100% he was. 100%. But when he saw John, he saw his absolute antithesis in John. He saw someone who was his complete opposite. He saw that John wasn't a hypocrite. He wasn't a pretender. He wasn't a people pleaser. He would even come to Herod's very throne and rebuke Herod for a sin. And Herod feared him for that. But read on here. Because you will find that wicked men have respect for good men. Verse 20 then. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him. Now that word, observed, it seems to be the idea of, of keeping, keeping him. And well, that means he kept the truths that John heard, that John preached. He kept John's message in his heart, uh, although didn't do anything with it. Heard it and didn't discard it, but you know, accepted it. Or it may mean that he kept John. That is, he kept John safe. I'm not sure which one it is there, but we're open to discussion on that one. But anyway, Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just man and unholy, and observed him, kept him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. So it gives the idea of multiple occasions of hearing John. He heard John and he did many things that John said, but he didn't do all things. There's the problem. John preached truth. He told the truth to Herod lovingly. I'm sure John's heart was in his mouth when he was preaching truth to Herod, but he did so. And Herod even uh, did many of the things that John did, but not all. Perhaps Herod, in some respects, cleaned up his life a little bit. Spring cleaned his behavior, but he never would repent of his sins. He never would bow down and accept Christ as his Savior. He would never set his affairs in order. Interesting how close someone can be Having company with good men, hearing good men, fearing good men, enjoying good men, even to a degree taking the word from good men, but never, never bowing before Christ. It doesn't matter how much you love men. It doesn't matter how much you love good men. It matters how much you love Christ. What think ye of John the Baptist? The Bible never says that. So here's John the Baptist with an audience with Herod. And note what John said on this occasion because the language is very important. Um, verse, verse 18. So Herod's heard him on many occasions but on this particular occasion, verse 18, for John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful. And remember what he was, what was he, what was he in position for? He was there to be a law keeper. Herod was the governor. He was the upholder of the law. 
And John comes in and says, you keeper of the law, do not keep the law yourself, for it is not lawful for thee. Now look what he said here. John could not have put this more precisely. And I'm not saying he did it ignorantly, he didn't. But he said it in such a way that it would have cut right through every fallacy that Herod wanted to believe. He said, it is not lawful for thee to have Herodias. didn't say that. He said, it's not lawful for you to have your wife. He didn't say that either. He said, it's not lawful for thee to have thy brother Philip's wife. That's, that's the gist of it here. All right, read the verse again then. Verse 18. For John had said unto Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. He's making the point here, the woman you're married to, she's another man's wife, and it happens to be your brother. And the Bible refers to Herodias in this manner, Philip's wife. Look at the previous verse there, verse 17. But Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife. That's the word of God speaking there. For he had married her because Herod had married her. John spoke the truth. He did not spare, but spoke honestly, truthfully, winsomely. And Herod took it. Took it. Herodias, on the other hand, did not take it well at all. So then, secondly, I want you to see how John was imprisoned for truth. So he's preaching truth, but he was imprisoned for truth. For this, I want you to go to Luke chapter 3. Now keep your uh, finger there in Mark 6. We'll be, we'll be back there again. But In Luke 3 and the verse 19, we read of this occasion. Verse 19, but Herod, the tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. So what we're been told here is, this is not the first wrong thing that Herod did. But we're told here above all the evils that he did, or rather not above, but for all the evils which Herod had done, he added this above them all, that he put John the Baptist in prison. And he put him there, if you turn now to Matthew 14, the verse 3, let's go there, because these four Gospels record this event in great detail. Mark, uh, in the greatest detail, but Matthew and Luke also, but Matthew verse chapter 14 and the verse 3, same message here, for Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison for Herodias' sake. He did it for the sake of Herodias. He put John in prison. He heard what John said. He, he couldn't argue with what John said. Neither Herod nor Herodias could say, no, John, you're accusing us in the wrong. We have been moral. We have done what's right. 
They couldn't do that. They just got angry. As, and we've said that a thousand times to you. You'll find that when you expose truth to people, if you're right and what they have done is wrong, they will do one of two things. They will be humble and repent. Or they will get angry. Right. In some way, vent their anger on you. In some way, well, it's character assassination or physically fight in this occasion Herodias was hurt and she would wait her day she would have killed him didn't we read that um, in Mark wasn't it Mark that said that yeah go to Mark 6 Mark 6 in the verse 19 so Herod imprisoned John for Herodias' sake, as Matthew has told us. But look at verse 19. Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him, John, and would have killed him. Boy, she hated, hated John. Why? She hated John because she wanted her position. Herodias... It was beneficial for her to be married to Herod more so than her previous husband, Philip, because this is her getting up the ladder a little bit. She's more influential. She's more wealthy. She's better off. She's climbing the ladder. She's an ambitious woman, and no one is going to stand between her and her ambition. And she hated anyone who would stand against her. So, John was imprisoned. We're not told a lot about Herodias in the Bible, but from what we have observed, even in passing in the past few moments, she certainly was immoral because she was married to Herod and happy to be so. She was also bitter because she would not take well a word of rebuke. She was also cruel and manipulative. She was going to do whatever she had to do to keep her position. She really was a Jezebel of the New Testament. A wicked, wicked woman. And by the way, I'm sure you've noticed, even the way I'm saying this today, the similarity in name. This is Herod Antipas. And she was Herodias. Herodias is the feminine name for Herod. So they're from the same family. It's thought actually that Herodias was the niece of Herod and Philip, the two men that she married. So a lot of, a lot of matters here, a lot of issues. This was a very ungodly, a very wicked, and a real pagan uh, powerhouse, the house of Herod, undoubtedly. So, anyway, we're here to study John today. John preached the truth. John was imprisoned for truth. John then died for truth. Because you read here in Matthew 6, in the verse 21, And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday made a supper to his lords, high captains and chief estates of Galilee. So, essentially... They had a real booze up. Real good food, best of grub, best of wine. And these men were going to make a proper fill of themselves. 
That's always the case in the house of feasting. And no one made a bigger fool of himself than Herod here. Because they brought in his wife's daughter. They danced before them. And Herod was pleased at what he saw. A filthy. What a horrible. What an immoral man this was. I don't want to say any more. It's disgusting. I'm leaving it there. Anyway, he sware to her in verse 23. He sware unto her, whatsoever thou shalt ask of me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kin. So he swore to her, not because she was noble, not because she was worthy, not because she was good and godly, not because she had sacrificed for the good of others, but because she pleased his lust. The old wretch was going to reward her. Now, as I said to you, this, this, this was certain, certain, certain to not end well. And of course, she went to her mother, Herodias, asked for the head of John the Baptist, and got it. You see, look with me here how this happened. Verse 26. And the king was exceeding sorry. Yet for his oath's sake. And for their sakes which sat with him. He would not reject her. And immediately the king sent an executioner. And commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in prison. Now there was a time that Herod protected John. Because he feared him. He respected him. He liked him. The king here was entertained by John. He even responded to John's truth. But listen, making friends with evil men, you know, it's of no benefit. Because Herod was an evil man. And Herodias, an evil woman. That's why John didn't preach to please Herod. He didn't. Herod happened to like him. That didn't mean that John was trying to please him. Anyway, the man who protected him, and John might even have entertained the thought that I'll be safe as long as Herod is watching over me. But Herod's loyalty was quickly changed because he was not a man of morals, not a man of God, not a man of good. And what strikes me here is just the cold, clinical, callous, unjust manner that John died because there was no there was no court case here there wasn't even an accusation of error nobody had said John had done a wrong and for that he should die no it was simply this wicked woman wanted his head because she wanted power and position and wealth it was so unjust John's beheading was wrong on every single imaginable level. But anyway, the executioner went. John didn't see this coming. John was in prison. Remember, he's discouraged. He's cast down. 
And he's sitting in prison, going about his daily tasks, out of the blue, this man with an axe or a sword, whatever, walked in through the prison doors, put John on the ground, and boom. Left him lying there. Give the head. Raise his daughter. Desperate brutality. But, look at verse 29. Verse 29, and when his disciples heard of it, that's John's disciples, finally, here's some good men. It's been a wee while since you read of good men. This portion I can tell you. And when his disciples heard of it, where's Herod, by the way? If anybody should have been here, it should have been Herod. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up John. doesn't say that. It says all they could do was lift his corpse. And the change in language there is very significant. You see, the executioner came to take off the head of John. They wanted the head of John. But the moment John is beheaded, that same body is now just a corpse. That's not John. Very often at funerals, out of politeness, you might address the person before you who has uh, ceased to be in this world. You'll address them by their name. There's nothing wrong with that at all. It's being polite. It's fine. But the word of God is making a very important observation here. That body, just a corpse. This body is only a corpse. Because once the soul departs, the vessel is lifeless. John, we are first and foremost a spirit. John had departed. He left his vessel behind. He was gone. John was gone, rejoicing in glory. Verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things both what they had done and what they had taught. And that's kind of a new portion there, of course, but the Lord was aware of all that was going on. I have no doubt the Savior's heart was broken. The Bible doesn't tell us that. I don't think it has to. Christ wept at the grave of Lazarus. This was John the Baptist, of whom Christ said, no prophet like him. Can I close this morning here, just by making two final observations. There's two men, primary characters in this text, both Herod and John. Herod had killed the one who was being lovingly honest with him and pointing him to eternal salvation. He killed the one man who was there to see that Herod's eternal well-being would be much better. But Herod killed the very man who was there to help him. Truth is not always well received. And although, let, let me take one moment to show you this as well. Go to Luke, please. Luke, um, we'll go straight to Luke 23. There's lots of text in Luke I want you to see here, but let's just go to Luke 23. This is the most important one. Because Herod, we're told in Luke's gospel that Herod desired to hear of Christ. He wanted to meet Christ because he thought this was John resurrected and so on and so forth. Herod wanted to meet Christ after John was dead because Herod knew what it was to hear truth and he wanted to hear more of it. But he had 
killed the man who was preaching it. Anyway, Luke 23. And look at verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad. And if, you know, if you didn't go any further, you would think, Amen, Herod's come to faith. Couldn't be further from the truth. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, for he was desirous to see him of a long season. John had done a good work. He had given Herod an appetite for things that were good and godly, for heaven, for God. But but remember, this was a corrupt man. Now read the whole verse 8. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceeding glad, and he was desirous to see him of a long season, because he had heard many things of him. And he hoped to have seen some miracle done by him. He wanted to be entertained. He wanted to see this great Jesus of Nazareth doing miracles. Uh, That's not salvation. That's not someone wanting to come to see Christ because they're a sinner. That's not someone who is ashamed of all their iniquities. It's someone who's entertained by truth. It doesn't want it. You ever meet somebody like that? Are you like that? You find this entertaining. But that's it. I hope that's not said of anyone here today. But it may be the case. Verse 9. Look at verse 9. Then he questioned with him in many words. That's Herod questioned Christ with many words. But look what verse 9 says. But he answered him nothing. Lord. Jesus, Herod would have said, and asked Jesus questions, silence. God had nothing more to say. What an awful place for Herod to be. God was speaking no more. Don't mess around with God. Don't play this like it's a game. Don't be entertained by truth and think it's fun. Because the day will come that God will be silent. But you know what happened? Look at verse 10. And the chief priests and scribes stood and vehemently accused him. That's Christ. They're hurling all words they can possibly hurl at Christ. And then verse 11. And Herod with his men of war set him at naught. Herod now with his men of war set him, Christ at naught. And mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. And sent him again to Pilate. Oh! Having heard truth, having beheaded John the Baptist, and Herod confessed that himself. I've beheaded John. Then to stand before Christ, and for Christ to be silent, Herod should have bent on his knees and pleaded for mercy, but instead he mocked Christ. I want to be Herod on the judgment day. Today, Herod will regret what he's done. 
And I ask you, what about John? Do you think in heaven today, John regrets speaking the truth to Herod? Do you think he's standing in glory, reminiscing over his life, and thinking, oh, if I would have just kept my mouth closed, I would have been fine. No, no, no. He's not regretting truth. He's not regretting the sacrifice that he made to stand up for Christ and to stand up for truth. And I want you to think, how will you be in eternity? Will you regret the decision you're going to make today? To walk out of God's house or to receive him as your saviour? Are you going to regret what you've done for the past 40 years the rest of your life? Herod? Or will you be someday in glory? You'll rejoice. But by God's grace, you may have suffered, but you did what was right. Now you're with your Savior in your eternal reward. Eternity is coming. It's coming for us all. Make sure you're not like Herod, entertained by truth. Make sure like John, valiant for truth. Let's take our in books, please.